we had a snow day. You know those random snow days that happen here in Portland. And we couldn't have her on the day that she had prepared to come. And we were all very disappointed at Sprouts. It's our ministry to young moms. And, um, but she said randomly, she said, well, I'd be happy to come in an evening. And I thought, well, no young moms come out in the evening. Um, but then this started us on this path of, well, maybe couples could come. And maybe it could be a part of our marriage workshops. And so we're so excited that this evening came together. So Angie Pennick is um, a leader with me at Sprouts. And she um, has is the one who we owe it to making the connection for us. So share us a little bit. So I'm honored to help introduce Dr. Drea Olmstead. Um, I am a night shift labor and delivery nurse at Legacy Meridian Park Hospital, where it's my pleasure to work with her through the wee hours of the morning welcoming babies into the world. Of the many fine doctors I work with, Drea is very special to me because in over 15 years of being a nurse, she's the first doctor that I ever saw pray with a patient. When I saw her do this, I was amazed and thought to myself, who is this that is integrating her faith and her career so well together? How special for those patients who receive her prayer to get a special glimpse of God after their miraculous occasion. So who better to talk tonight about intimacy and faith than a professional whose business comes from your bedroom business (laughs) and who is continually bringing God into her efforts in the professional community. So, I'm going to introduce um, Drea, and then she'll do John. So, Dr. Olmstead grew up in, C- in the Seattle area. She attended Occidental College in Los Angeles and received a degree in biology. She married John after graduation and, married back, I mean, and moved back to Seattle to attend medical school at University of Washington. She completed her OBGYN residency at OHSU in 1994 and has been in practice with Women's Healthcare Associates in Tualatin ever since. She has two children in college. She has been the volunteer medical director uh, for Pregnancy Resource Center since 2009 and serves on Young Life and Young Lives committees. She has also led surgical mission teams to Central America since 2008. So cool. And John has, um, he says that he's been married nearly, they've been married nearly 32 years and they met when they were 12 at the church youth group. So that's scary to me. I have a 13 year old who loves youth group. (laughs) I guess it does happen, but it works, I guess. Um, So John graduated from Occidental College with a degree in exercise science and then went on to Seattle Pacific University to earn a master's in athletic administration. So he has, um, ex- has, has been a leader and um, led in communication and organizational skills, leading large staffs at numerous departments at Nike, but then 12 years ago left and started his own business called Willamette Wine Storage. So that sounds interesting. Um, He's coached multiple youth sports and even seven years as a high school basketball coach. He's taught school. He also, they volunteer together in various charitable channels from church to missions with Young Life being, it sounds like, the primary focus. Um, But he says, my faith in Christ and his principles continue to grow through staying in the word of God, praying and sharing quiet time with my wife faith-based community groups, and dedicated time with my accountability partner, and I just appreciate that. So with that, we're so glad to have you tonight. Please join us, John and Drea. We'll have to do our PowerPoint correctly. If you guys want to move up a little bit, feel free. But there's... We're not. 
Either way. Do you want to pray? Mm-hmm. Right, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for being here with us tonight and uh, just speaking through Drea and myself, Lord. We lift these couples up to you and uh, ask you to just put a special blessing on them tonight and moving forward in their marriage. Amen. Awesome. Hey, well, thanks for letting us be here. It's a total privilege, and we just hope this is a blessing for you guys. We hope it's fun um, and inspiring and hopefully not offensive. And I just, I know a lot of the audience, but I just want to know a couple things. So how many of you have had a baby within the last year? Yeah, I know most of you. <laughs> how, how many of you, um, I'm just going to ask the women this because I'm curious, how many of you women that are here work outside the home? Okay. And how many of you don't live near men and women, don't live near supportive family? Just kind of here on your island. Okay. And then how many of you are at or near menopause or menopause? All right, sweet. Okay. No, no menopause? Yeah, no, there were a few. <laughs> you're up. Our love story. Yeah, you're yeah. good. Cool. You got it. So they mentioned that we met when we were 12 years old. Drea grew up actually in California and moved up uh, to the Bellevue area uh, just around sixth grade. And uh, most people meet kind of on their best uh, look, so to speak, but, uh, you know, how junior high kids can look. I was 12 years old, about 5'3", uh, zits, you know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a pretty sight, braces, you know, not looking too good, kind of minding my own business, going to youth group, summer youth group at our church, and uh, here comes somebody new, and it was Drea, and it was kind of love at first sight. I know that sounds kind of weird. But she was about four inches taller than me, and she had braces too. So it, it, you know, we were kind of like, ugh, you know. Um, so we kind of held hands, and I guess you'd call it go together. I don't know if kids use that anymore. We didn't Probably pin not. each other. That's older than we are. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so after the three months, um, or right toward the end of that three months, um, toward the end of the summer, start of the school year, I wrote her a love letter. Now... You know, my English wasn't very good, my spelling sucked, but I did have an infinity sign at the top of it and a couple of hearts, you know, in there as well. And uh, anyway, I think that really freaked her out, quite honestly. And uh, she took the letter and put it somewhere and said, I got to get away from this guy. He's just coming on a little too strong. So she broke up with me. It's really sad. Tearjerker, right? But the nice thing is, so we never actually went to the same school uh, through high school, through junior high or high school, but we stayed in in touch through church, and we were always, I always had a special spot for her, and I don't know when that special spot came back for you. you. Um, But anyway, so uh, we got back together again, sort of formally dating the summer before our senior year of high school, and... uh, so from then, we went to college and kind of went on from there. But the interesting thing is, so the letter was kind of a long lost letter um, as far as we were concerned. And then uh, uh, right around our 25th wedding anniversary, um, we happened to be moving from West Lynn to Tualatin. And uh, we were going through things like you do, and, and Andrea found 
you know, she found the letter, which was pretty cool. And of course, it's a it's it's a form of embarrassment for our kids when they, you know, when other couples want to read it or look at it or what have you. So anyway, it's framed in our bathroom, <laughs> not like the bathroom where the shower is. It's like where the toilet is, right? <laughs> you know, so it's kind of like when you're sitting there, you're like, oh, that again? Okay. Um, anyway, but it's it's uh, it's a it's a neat letter, and and it just goes to show you that you know love can start at any age. And I know freaked out <laughs> who's. The, I can't remember your name again. Your daughter's 13. <laughs> yeah, Jamie. Exactly. Yeah, kind of freaked Jamie yeah. out when she heard that, but uh, don't worry. Anyways, it's all good. But we're still in love 32 years later. So, so we have a famous story that happened a few years ago, and I got to share it with you guys. We had just come home from dinner. It was our anniversary, and the only issue about us trying to find some time to be alone, because you know it's our anniversary, was that our daughter's home. Well, it's not easy to make love with a teenager in the house. Anybody realize that? It's a lot more difficult than even toddlers. So we had to figure out a way to get her out of the house. So we enticed her with an errand to Target, which she was psyched about because she had just got her driver's license. So off Sophie goes to Target, and we had the house to herself. And I was so proud of myself for getting this all figured out. So I go upstairs, and John's in the TV room, and I, I... I don't ever do this, guys, so, but I slowly took off my dress, and I'm standing at the door of the TV room, like, hey, honey, you want to go have some fun? And he's like... The TV got turned off in a hurry. Yeah. So I start running to our bedroom, and he starts running after me, and I clip my toe on the stair newel so hard, and I screamed a few words, and I barely hobbled to the bed, and I laid on it, and I said, there will be no sex tonight. And the next day I had an x-ray and I broke it. So, so even the kids know how I broke it. It was really an embarrassment to them. Anyway. So it ended up being a night of cuddling. It did. That was it. That was it. Cuddling's good. Cuddling's good. So. With an, God, ice, with an ice pack. <laughs> God is the absolute expert on sex. And in the message it says, love does not demand its own way. It puts the other person first and the other person's need, needs first. And I love this quote too. Fostering a healthy sex life is like pouring super glue all over your relationship. So we're really glad you guys are here tonight. Um, before we really dive in, I want to acknowledge there's some people in the room who have been or are going through some hard things Um, maybe infidelity, maybe addiction, maybe pain or physical problems. And uh, I just want to acknowledge that because sometimes a talk like this can be really difficult for people. Uh, I also want to encourage you, if you're in that boat, to seek professional help. After we're done, we have handouts in the back that we'll put out, a counseling list of Christian counselors, marriage books, um, one that's really detailed that we actually received at a marriage seminar that we copied, and then the other one that we came out up with, and then also some questions. So that will, that will come later. So let's dive in. So what do women need in a marriage relationship? I'm sure many of you could answer this. We need affirmation. We need compliments. We need connection. We need intimate emotional connection. We need non-sexual touch. We need our hand held. We need an arm around the shoulder. 
Most women don't love, guys, this is for you, most women don't love in public having their butt and their breasts touched. Just saying. Guilty. That's been a thing. I'm pretty good at <laughs> behaving now, but it took a while. I don't know how many of you guys have read the book by Jen, probably women only, who have read the book by Jen Hatmaker for the love. Hilarious. But I love what she says here. What's for dinner, you ask? Well, I guess I'll just nurse this baby and change all these diapers and wrestle this house from the grip of entropy and play Legos for the 10 millionth time and also cook a nourishing meal for everyone. Hey, honey after dinner cleanup and bath and bedtime marathon, let's have meaningful sex. Please grope me more than usual because I haven't had and felt up enough today. Right? It's so right on. Women also need spiritual intimacy. Praying and sharing devotions together, going to church together, serving together. I always joke around with John that sharing or praying together or sharing devotions is kind of like foreplay for me. Romance, we need love in action, love notes, you guys get it. And this is one of my favorites. One of my, a story I heard years ago was this couple, they went to the doctor, and the guy says to the doctor, Doc, my wife, she just like never wants sex. I'll, I'll do anything. What can I do? What can I do? And the doc says, really? You'll do anything? And he's like, yeah, what? And the doctor says, vacuum. And so true. It's pretty sexy watching your husband vacuum around the house. Little hint, guys. And the final thing that, that we need is we need to see our husband committed to our family. So what is it that men need in a marriage relationship? They need mutual satisfaction. They need to know they're pleasing their wife. They don't want somebody that's just... And on the heels of that, they need sexual connection. Many men can't open up until the sexual connection's happened, but many women are the opposite. So women often need intimacy to be sexual, and men often need sex to be intimate. So you guys figure it out. Hopefully we'll help on that tonight. Men need responsiveness. They need to hear us say yes, and if the answer is no, it should be followed by a yes. No, not right now. How about tomorrow? How about tomorrow afternoon? And we also need to understand that when we as women say no to our husbands, we're not just saying no to their penis. We're saying no to all of them. Men need initiation by the wife. I know. We need to do this consciously. Men think about sex all the time. Sorry. Women kind of think about sex. So... Women or men, but this is mostly for women. In order to do this right, think about putting TS for Think Sex on your schedule, on your calendar. Text it to yourself. Put a reminder on it. And then see what happens. A couple years after I mentioned this in a group, I walked into an exam room and there was a woman rubbing her beautiful pregnant belly and she said, hey doc, this is a TS baby. <laughs> I know, it's silly, huh? And then men need affirmation. In Ephesians 5.33, it says, However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So we need to see sex as something we give, not something we get. And in marriage, it's never, never his fault or her fault. It's never 90, 10. 
It's, it's our problem together. And I love this quote from uh, Kevin Lehman's on the, uh, the reading list. I love this quote from his book. The best communication of your wife, of your life, your wife too, begins when your desire to understand your mate is greater than your desire to be understood. Okay, what do you guys think is the biggest problem in marriage? As far, not problem in marriage. What is the biggest problem as far as having a sex drive in marriage? What do you guys just sex shout? Inhib- sex inhibitor. Yeah, just shout out something that gets in the way of having sex. You're tired. Stress. Stress. Kids. Busy. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Different expectations. A lot of that is summed up with that, right? We're tired. And that is the biggest, that is the biggest um, enemy of sex in a lot of ways. So for husbands, what you can think about doing to help your wife's libido, besides vacuuming, but just take the kids, help out, and, and, and be there for her emotionally. And women, what I would say is we need to think about um, sex maybe as we think about exercise. Like it might not just happen. Exercise, sometimes we got to plan it out. And maybe you don't tell him when you're planning it out, but you're kind of planning it out in your, in your head. Don't give him your leftovers. I am so guilty of that. I do all these really good things, and then I come home, and I'm like totally toast for this man and my kids sometimes. So that is, that's a place that a lot of us, I think, need to, to, to look at and to remember that our first ministry needs to be to our husband and our kids. And I love this quote also by Kevin Lehman. He says, do you know how much your sex life affects your children? You can fool adults, but you can't fool kids. They have built-in radar. They know when things are not well between mommy and daddy, and they sense disconnect. They see the anger in mom's face when dad comes up from behind to give her a hug, and she snarls, not now, I'm busy. They will sense dad's coldness toward her. So I want to, we want to urge you guys not to wait until you feel like it because it might never happen if that's your criteria. Most women need at least 30 minutes to get in the mood, if not all day, and many pieces need to fall into place. So we're going to start with a great suggestion from our friend Jem Elmquist who just published a book called Relationship Reset that's on our list. So our daughter attends college um, down at Point Loma, and she happens to go to school with Jen's daughter, and they became friends. So this epic kiss, um, this is something that is somewhat new to us as of about last fall, um, but we've kind of gotten to like it, and we kind of talk about it, and our kids know about it. Um, so it's kind, of, it's kind of a neat thing, but I'm going to ask you guys a question. Does anybody know how long an epic kiss lasts in some of the more famous movies, Titanic, Casablanca, Spider-Man. Does anybody have any, any idea? Seven seconds. Seven seconds. Ten. Ten. Anybody else? Okay, well, there's not an exact number. It's at least six seconds. Okay, so seven's pretty good. And ten, that, that meets the criteria. Um, but the amount of time does matter. It really does. And in her book, she notes that um, a Dr. John Gottman confirms that at least a six-second kiss is very important and one of the keys to the couple's happiness. So 
it's kind of a good little starter um, for any couple, and you'd be surprised how often couples don't have an epic kiss. So your relationship needs intimacy, and it's something that maybe the two of you can talk about later is, you know, when was the last time we had what we call an epic? I mean, so it's kind of funny, you know, honey, do you want an epic? You know, so it puts a smile on our faces at the very least. Um, and keep them coming throughout your relationship. I mean, we're using it as a fun thing, and it doesn't always have to lead to sex, but it can be, it develops a, connect, a, a more deep connection than you would normally have with maybe just a good evening when you get home from work or a, you know, or a pat on the back or a side hug. Or I mean, you come in there, and it's, it's an epic, you know? So that'll help uh, strengthen your, your intimacy and the stability with your marriage. You guys will be really happy oh. to know we're not going to make you practice it. Well, I because, forgot to tell you. Yeah. I forgot to tell you. We're going to have a contest in the foyer <laughs> afterwards. I meant to say that. And there's a prize for the longest epic kiss. So it comes down to who, who, who can hold their breath the longest. <laughs> okay, now we're going to start talking about sex more. We started about kissing. We're talking about sex. So um, what do women need to enjoy sex? So we need to feel loved and prized and cherished and valued. We need to be listened to and respected. We need a romantic atmosphere, including a nice smelling husband. He's very good at that. Okay, this is a big one. You need privacy. If you do not have a lock on your bedroom door, put a lock on your bedroom door. And I'm only going to say it one time because Sophie told me I said it three times in my talk, so I took it out. But that's a big one. It's in bold. <laughs> yeah. And we need to be understood and cuddled. What men need to enjoy sex? Well, let's check out the list. To feel needed and wanted and a place. Okay, well, that's a short list. <laughs> And let's see, our PowerPoint shows that that's the end of that slide. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And most anywhere will do, yeah. as long as it has a lock on the door. That's right. So let's talk a little bit about attitude. So how can you kill a mood? One is to criticize your husband, to criticize your spouse um, at any time. To fight, obviously, before making love doesn't work so well. To have unsettled issues between you, which is a big one. But one of the most important things that uh, I've learned as a woman is to have a positive attitude about life and to really try, and we learn this in the church, and it's so important to guard our hearts from bitterness. And I love this quote. It says, here's what you have to understand about that man of yours. He wants to be your hero. He wants to please you. And if you give him just the tiniest bit of encouragement, he'll go to the ends of the earth for you. That's what we need to think about. Focus on the things your spouse does right. At times when I have been frustrated with John, one of the greatest gifts God has given me is this little voice that says, just love him. Jen Emquist, who is the Epic Kiss author, also commented about, about this, and she mentioned when couples continually focus on their problems, the relationship suffers. However, when they shift their focus to positive experiences and aspects of the relationship, the overall mood improves. And the brain is kind of like a sticky note with negative thought, and, it, and it, negative thoughts tend to predominate, 
in the brain and it stores them as future reminders of what we should avoid. So this means that if you don't intentionally manage your thinking, especially when you're feeling negative about your spouse, your brain will eventually be full of these groomed tracks moving along more of that negative experience in your relationship instead of the positive. So work with the negative feelings and thoughts right away rather than let them accumulate. And it's not only a good brain workout, but it's also essential if we want to remain happy together. The catch is that you're the only one who can do it. Your spouse can't do that for you. A lot of people ask about sexual frequency. I get that question in the office a lot, like how often is it normal to have sex? And what our answer is, is that it's age dependent and it varies between couples from often to infrequent. But it's important to keep an open dialogue going about intimacy and sex with your spouse and mutual needs need to be talked about and discussed, both physical and emotional, and underlying issues need to be addressed together. And unfortunately, sorry guys, there's no pill for libido. There's no pill for sex drive for men or for women. Most of the time, the reason that there's low sex drive is some of the things we mentioned and then also emotional and environmental issues. There are some medical issues. Um, these are just this is a short list of men and, for men and women, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, thyroid issues is a big one, especially for men chronic pain of any kind, hypertension medication, depression medication, and cancer are just a few things that can get in the way. Other barriers and important issues include alcohol and drug abuse, emotional or physical abuse in the relationship, personal history of sexual trauma, infidelity, untreated mental health disorders, and pornography and sexual addiction. Voltry and I realize that pornography is a sensitive and difficult topic to discuss and that it, it likely has adversely affected some of you in this room. Nonetheless, tonight I want to speak to you from this perspective, uh, from my perspective, primarily to the men in the room, but the overall message is for the couples. And it's my hope and prayer that my past experiences battling pornography um, and the steps I'll outline will help to improve your marriage and your intimacy together. Intimacy meaning not only the physical, but also the emotional and spiritual aspects. So over the next several minutes, we're going to cover some different topics. What society says about it and what God says about it myths about pornography, and practical steps for healing. So let's take a look at what society says first. So instant gratification, it's readily available, it's usually at our fingertips, be it at our phone or computer. Go for it, nobody will know. You can usually delete images, you can you know, not tell anybody, you can keep it private. It's okay, everybody does it. You might have friends that are kind of open about it. They might send you pictures via text. Um, so it kind of seems a little bit common. And what's the big deal? You know, it just seems so prevalent, particularly in a city like Portland. And if it's legal, then it must be okay. So basically, pornography more than ever 
um, is accepted as a part of our society. And Portland is really inundated, um, as most of you know. I think it's one of the top cities per capita or something for the number of you know, strip clubs and all that kind of stuff. Um, and sometimes it's been ca- called porn land instead of Portland. So it's almost impossible in this city not to be influenced in some regard. And uh, just driving on 217 the other day, you know, there was a billboard, I don't know, some of you saw it, um, and advertising, a, you know, big billboard advertising a strip club in Beaverton. And then I was listening to the radio, just one of the main stations in Portland, um, just the other day, and they, and they were advertising for another, you know, strip club just right on the radio. Sadly, we live in a time where the prevalence and ease of access are, are at an all-time high. Regarding access, you know, technology has really taken us to the next level, sadly. You know, high speed, HD and no filters. You know, it wasn't that long ago in history. I was thinking about it. You know, the settlers, when they moved east to west, just as an example, no pornography, no computers, no phones. I guarantee you the connection between those married couples was fantastic. I mean, that was, you know, you traveled with your prize and she was your prize, you know, and and, uh, it's just sad to me that that's not the case as much anymore. Even in the early 90s, you know, we had actually some computer filters and that kind of thing that, that kept most things out pretty well, but now just the technology is just there to circumvent most everything. And the cell phone, you know, it's concise, instant, transportable, high definition, can't get any worse, really. So what does God say about the topic? He has a lot to say about it, actually. (laughs) Um, There are multiple references throughout the Bible encouraging us to control our behavior and control our lust. Some examples include, there are plenty in Proverbs, Romans, Thessalonians, 1 Peter, you name it. But probably one of the most well-known is Matthew, oops, Matthew 5.28, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So I've also been reading the Life Application Study Bible, and it summarizes what God has to say with the following. God's plan for natural sexual relationships is his ideal for his creation. Unfortunately, sin distorts the natural use of God's gifts. Sin often means that not only denying God, but also denying the way we are made. When people say that any sex act is acceptable as long as nobody gets hurt, they are fooling themselves. In the long run, and often in the short run, sin hurts people, individuals, families, whole societies. Because sex is such a powerful and essential part of what it means to be human, It must be treated with great respect. Sexual desires are of such importance that the Bible gives them special attention and counsels more careful restraint and self-control than any other desire. It goes on to say, one of the clearest indicators of a society or person in rebellion against God is the rejection of God's guidelines for the use of sex. We are at a place in time where the ability to maintain self-control has never been greater. And all the while, God 
is pretty clear on what he expects of us. And clearly, the use of pornography to satisfy lust, lustful desires falls into the category of sin in God's mind. I'm also reading a book by Henry Now, and some of you may have read it, The Return of the Prodigal Son. So it outlines uh, the full story, but at the beginning, the, the younger son um, asks his father, while he's still alive, for his inheritance, and he grants it to him. He goes off to a distant country and squanders all of it on lustful desires and greed. Um, in, in the book, in, in the book, Henry comments specifically how our addictions place us in a, in a distant country, which means we're separated from God. So defining addiction, this is just one definition that I kind of like, but it's anything, person, place, thing, substance, activity, etc. Anything a person is using for a purpose it was not intended for and as a substitute for what is intended. So Henry writes, addiction might be the best word to explain the lostness that so deeply permeates contemporary society. Our addictions make us cling to what the world proclaims as the keys to self-fulfillment. Accumulation of wealth and power, attainment of status and admiration, lavish consumption of food and drink, and sexual gratification without distinguishing the difference between lust and love. He goes on to say, these addictions create expectations that cannot help but fail to satisfy our deepest needs. As long as we live within the world's delusions, our addictions condemn us to futile quests in the distant country, leaving us to face an endless series of disillusionments while our sense of self remains unfulfilled. In these days of increasing addictions, we've have, we have wandered far from our father's home. The addicted life can aptly be designated a life lived in a distant country. Pretty, nice, pretty strong words from Henry Nouwen. And living a life separated from God and in turn disconnected from our spouse is a very sad state to be in. It is our prayer and desire that you will take action to become a man of God through integrity and self-control. And I understand that not everybody in this room might have dealt with this, but I know from statistics that it is true for most men at some time or another in their life. So, Before I conclude with some steps to battle this issue, let's talk about myths about pornography. I only do it occasionally, so it's okay. That's just flat out wrong. Even once in a while breaks your streak of self-control, and ultimately once in a while can lead to more often. And it's obviously not okay in God's eyes. He knows your heart and any sin that's within it. It won't affect my marriage. Wrong. It will. It will no doubt adversely affect the intimacy with your spouse. Both the mind and the body cannot avoid the damaging effects. The mind's on other images, not your spouse. And the body follows suit with a lack of desire and oftentimes performance. And there's a guilt factor there as well that you have to deal with. I have it under control. Wrong. If you are involved in pornography whatsoever, you're not in control. It controls you. Furthermore, a little can lead to more often and other forms of the industry. 
I can stop whenever I feel like it. That might be true for you, but for many, including myself, it takes support from many angles. This absolutely must include your spouse and likely include an accountability partner or partners of the same gender, of course, and support groups, and possibly, if necessary, professional counseling. Also keep in mind that when giving up any addiction for that matter, but pornography included, if you give it up, there are going to be some stumbling fallback points, and usually after one week, six weeks, or three months. Finally, I want to encourage you in your marriage and your intimacy. There's been, uh, I get a little choked up when I talked about this, but uh, there's been no greater joy in my life than to uh, give fully to my wife, you know, everything I have, everything I desire, everything I am. And I just appreciate Drea for that. All of my physical, spiritual, and emotional self. And uh, I want that for everybody in this room. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no, there's no greater um, blessing, you know, in our lives than that. So let's talk about a few practical steps for healing. One, God's forgiveness. No matter what we've done in the past, God will forgive give you and us. If you choose to follow any of these steps, you first need to go to God, ask for forgiveness, and in turn accept his grace. All of us can be made like new. Before I read from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, I want to define the word reconciliation because it's the key to God's forgiveness and his love for us. The word reconciliation comes from a word group that um, is from the word change. Reconciliation involves a change in the relationship between God and yourself. It assumes there's been a breakdown of the relationship, but now it's, it, it's going from a state of fragmentation to a state of harmony and fellowship. And in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Next step, you have a choice. In life, we have many choices. Make this choice daily. It takes a conscious effort, focus. As mentioned before, I coached high school basketball, and I used to tell my players, be on your game, step up. These are kind of sports terms, but they go as far as our life and and battling this type of an addiction. you got to step up, be on your game. Stay in the word of God. Of course, commit to waking up to the word. I have a push notification, my God number. It's kind of funny, I have a God number, but it's 11. I see 11 all the time. I don't know what time it is right now, but it's probably something 11. But, um, so every morning at 8.11, I get a push notification, and it's a Bible verse of the day. But it helps me stay in the word at least one verse that day. Thank God for the day. 
Ask him to protect you from this sin if it's part of your life. Pray to God specifically about this if you need to. Find an alternative high. Like any addiction, if you're giving something up, the body responds, is influenced, the the body has chemically influenced and acts as a high when 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 any addiction is involved. And in many cases, giving it up, you need to find an alternative high. And such as starting to exercise or exercise more or even starting a new hobby um, that offers some type of a thrill or high. And this could include something like hiking, rock climbing. We have indoor skydiving in Portland now. Um, Kind of be creative, but it might help to have some other option. And there are healthy options for you. The 90-day commitment. If you are currently involved at any level, I encourage you today to to try for 90 days free from any and all influences of pornography. This includes something as simple as the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. Just say no. I get Sports Illustrated and it arrived in the mail like it does and I was tempted to open it and I thought, just say no. And it went in the recycling. It didn't need it. Through the course of 90 days, I can guarantee you, guarantee you, the intimacy with your spouse will be at a higher level than today. And here's the great part. She'll sense your increased desire for her. And no doubt, she'll respond in a positive way. As a side note, if you've had any experience with erectile dysfunction, see what happens during the 90 days. You might need a reduced dose. You might not even need it anymore. The desire for your spouse will go way up. It's a win-win on so many levels between your spouse and you and between God and you. Accountability. Beyond your spouse's talk, we've already talked about accountability a little bit. Get at least one accountability partner. Consider counseling, but put mechanisms in place that will help you prevent, will prevent you from slipping back. My favorite part of the whole talk, like Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond. Take your 90 days to infinity and beyond. Keep your streak going. The longer the streak, the better the intimacy will be with your spouse. And most importantly, God will honor you and respect you. He knows our hearts, our challenges, and our weaknesses. But I know with God on on your side, we can all conquer this. So lastly, I have put my email address on here. If if this kind of strikes something to you and you want to try this 90-day commitment, if you know, feel free to email me. I'd love to hear from you, support you in any way I can. Um, obviously, 100% confidential, and, and you don't have to tell me your name or anything. But um, I just you know just offering that up. Um, also, the three books here are not somehow they didn't make it on the read, recommended reading sheet. And so you can either write them down now or, we, or after the program. We can program. just put them up at the end, yeah, too. Yeah, we can put them up at the end, too. But these are specifically uh, written for men. Okay? Thanks, Sunny. So what oh. sex talk wouldn't be complete without masturbation? Sophie's like, are you really going to say that word, Mom? Yeah. Okay, now we're going to get more uncomfortable, guys. Just saying. You came to hear uncomfortable stuff. We're here for it. So 
According to statistics, about 94% of men masturbate and probably the other 6% are lying. <laughs> and also many women masturbate too. So the issue really isn't masturbation. The issue is what's your thought process? Totally dovetailing on what John said. Are you thinking about somebody else? Are you looking at something else? Or are you thinking about your spouse? What's your frequency? Are you looking forward to it? Are you planning it? Are you addicted to it? Are you consumed by it? Is it affecting your marriage? Is it affecting your attraction to your spouse? Is it affecting your sex drive? And if those things ring true in any negative way, then you need to look at that, look at that process. And these, these, all these tie into the pornography piece that we just talked about. Absolutely. So instead, let's get creative with intimacy. Let's have some fun. So just like we enjoy a variety of food in a variety of places, let's just think about enjoying a variety of sex in a variety of places and spice it up a little bit. So change your position, change your place, change your time. Anticipation is sometimes as good of, as, if not better than participation. So like consider sending your wife a flirtatious text or pop a little note in your husband's pocket that says, hey, the kids are taken care of tonight, and I'll be wearing some more d'oeuvres later when you get home. We have some great friends, and I have permission to tell this story. She texted her husband on his 50th birthday, and she said, honey, I'm serving you dinner naked. And he's like, yes! So they were house-sitting for his in-law's house, so nobody's at the house. The kids were taken care of. He's psyched. He, gets, he drives over to the house. He couldn't, can't wait. He bursts open the door, expecting this mad, passionate love. And he looks at 40 of his closest friends. And he has his, bath, he has his bathrobe on. <clears throat> and he walks over to his wife, and he's, and he's not getting an epic kiss, let's just say that. He walks over to his wife, and he's like, what am I supposed to do now, honey? And she said, have fun. So he turns around and opens his bathrobe, exposing his Superman boxers and his orange high top converse. Yes. And they had a great party and they had a great after party, needless to say. Yeah. It was we're not, pretty we're good. not recommending high top converse for any of your <laughs> intimate relations, but. Other suggestions pursue each other, dress, undress slowly, make noises, change positions, burn the sweats. I, okay, I do wear sweats at home. Like, I'm just saying, you know, maybe the gross ones, wait until he's not home or whatever. Uh, take a shower, be unpredictable. Uh, speaking of time, does anybody know what time of the day testosterone is at its highest? You guys all know, but you're not going to say it. Morning. Morning is a great time for sex, especially if you're in the older age group, of which we are. So consider that, although if you have toddlers, it mm, doesn't work so well either. But morning sex can sometimes lead to, like, afternoon sex or before dinner appetizer sex, it can be kind of fun. Not that we have sex many times a day. Like, I'm just, I gotta put some disclaimers out here, you guys. Uh, okay, we're gonna talk about anatomy. I am a gynecologist, bear with me. God gave us the clitoris, yes, I said the word, for one in, reason. In church. Sexual pleasure. And so, for many women, we need to just talk about where this all happens. So, orgasm, one myth about sex is that women and men orgasm at the same time during intercourse. Well, actually, that doesn't happen that often. Most women orgasm with clitoral stimulation 
They might or may not orgasm during intercourse, but many don't. And most women really like clitoral stimulation that's around the clitoris early on and then comes closer to the clitoris, but not just right on the clitoris initially. Just getting detailed. I know, this is really tough. But the other thing about the clitoris is there's no natural lubrication. So lubrication's really important, and it used to be this kind of taboo thing, but I talk to all my patients about it because it really does make a difference. So whether it's KY or Astroglide, which are water-soluble, or vitamin E oil or coconut oil, which are oils, obviously, um, lubrication's great. Smear it all over both of you and enjoy it, and don't wait to see if you need it. Um, and then the other thing is that a husband needs to understand that maybe the wife doesn't need or want to have an orgasm every time. Now, guys don't get that, but I'm just telling you, that's a girl thing. Sometimes women, we don't feel like we need to have an orgasm all the time. Now, if you are a woman and if you have never had an orgasm, then you should go see your doctor. One of the things that you can explore if you've never explored it is the whole clitoral stimulation thing. And most women within 20 minutes will be able to have an orgasm. If that is not your case, then you should, you should see your doctor. There are other pleasure spots include just inside the vagina, the nipples, the earlobes, the neck, the inner thighs. For women, if you put a pillow underneath your hips, like in missionary position, then the penis will kind of hit the upper part of the vagina. People used to call it the G-spot. I don't know as a gynecologist really what or where that is, but there's something there. Um, and if you do have occasional pain, which is normal during ovulation, um, if women, if you have your legs together, you can kind of control the depth of penetration, and that can be helpful. And um, there are variations to traditional sex, like in between the breasts, in between the thighs. Oral sex is okay as long as it's okay for both of you and mutually agreed upon. I got to talk about anal sex. I talk about it with my patients a lot, especially my high school and college patients, sadly. Anal sex is not an okay thing. We were not created for a penis to go in our bottom. It can cause damage, psychological and physical. It can cause infections, and it's a respect issue. Why do you think the clitoris is near the vagina and not near the rectum? There is a reason. Anal sex is not okay. Okay, let's talk about why some people have pain with sex. There's something called vestibulitis, and that is kind of a skin condition on the opening of the vagina. And common after childbirth, that's probably the most common time. Most of the time, it can be dealt with with different prescription creams. Rarely, surgery needs to happen. But you have to be really careful because sometimes surgery can make that worse. The most common thing I see is something called vaginismus. The vagina is a muscle. It has muscle memory. And so what happens is, is if a woman has had pain with sex once or twice, then her body remembers that. And every time sex is trying to happen, the vagina actually spasms shut. And as the guy tries to go further, she has a feeling like, no, no, don't go any further. That is something that is very common and can be helped with, it sounds weird, but pelvic physical therapy, that we have some really good pelvic physical therapists here in Portland that really help with that. There's different exercises and things like that. Um, but that's a super common thing and doesn't have to be something that you live with. Another thing is endometriosis. I'm sure many of you have heard of that. It can only be diagnosed with surgery, but it is when the cells that are, live 
typically inside of the uterus or outside the uterus in the abdominal cavity and they can swell and cause bloating and pain and pain with intercourse. Um, typically a lot of pain around the period. So um, that can be helped with some medication and with surgery. And then some women have an enlarged uterus. Even young women can have what's called a fibroid. It looks like a little golf ball inside the uterus or kind of what's a spongy uterus that can cause heavy bleeding and bloating and stuff like that. Sorry, guys, of all the gross bleeding talk, but whatever. It's, it, it, it's a pretty common thing too. So those are things that we, that's, that's where I come in. I can totally help with that kind of, that kind of issue. And then the other thing is uh, atrophic or kind of thin vagina. And I'll talk about that in, in just a second. But first, let's talk about sex and pregnancy. So if you're not puking, and if you're not too tired in the first trimester, and if you're not too uncomfortable in the third trimester, sex can actually be great in pregnancy. You have like 50% more blood volume. It's awesome. Now, the only problem is often if you have an orgasm, you have a contraction at the same time. Not so awesome. Most of the time, sex is totally fine in pregnancy. There's a couple times when your doctor might say, hey, let's not, or don't go there. We call it pelvic rest, um, preterm labor, placenta previa. But your doctor would make that very well known to you if that was the case. Now, postpartum is a different issue. We were not created to procreate right after we have a baby. We are dry, our hormone levels plummet, we have no estrogen, we're actually kind of close to like menopause symptoms. It's not so good. Most of the time, time will help. And as you get through the breastfeeding issue and your hormones start to come to normal level again and you get more sleep, then it gets better. But Men, you just need to know that postpartum is the least sexual time your wife will probably ever have. I mean, the breasts are a factory, the vagina is dry, they're exhausted, they feel pulled at every level, so that needs to be a time of grace. And menopause. So menopause, obviously your hormones drop again, and with menopause, Estrogen cream can be really helpful. Estrogen cream can be helpful in postpartum times too. So, um, but it doesn't have to be the first thing that we try there. But estrogen cream is great. The only problem with estrogen cream is it's expensive, but we have some tricks about that. The other thing that can help in menopause is hormones. I don't recommend hormones really for any other time. I don't think they do any good. They actually can cause harm sometimes. But in menopause, hormone replacement therapy can definitely help. Now, with depression, men, women, postpartum depression, many people are on depression medication. And depression medication can make it a little bit more difficult to orgasm, but typically that side effect goes away over time and the benefit of the medication and all of the good things that happen in, in the relationship outweigh that side effect. So it shouldn't be a reason really to not try the, um, the medication. So I don't know if you guys have ever heard, I'm sure some of you have heard of Ruth Westheimer. She was actually like the first sex therapist here. She's this little Jewish gal. She's now um, probably, hopefully with Jesus, and, um, but literally tiny. And she wrote, wrote this great book called Sex and Marriage. And she talks about thoughts during sex. I love this chapter. She talks about having control over your thoughts during sex. Like think about something that you love to do 
running on the beach, playing in the sand, making love somewhere warm and tropical, skiing fast. Think about what it is for you that you love to do and go there in your head. Don't think about the grocery list or the to-do list or what you're going to pack on your vacation tomorrow. Okay, busted, right? Um, now, for guys, don't get too far off track or off focus <laughs> that's here. True. I mean, it's that's like true. <laughs> we can only think of like two things at once. So. The grocery list is not one it's of them. It's not on them. And then take care of your body. I mean, for men and women, we all have to take care of our body. If we're not taking care of our body, how do we feel like we want to share it with our spouse? Exercise, sleep, eat well, pray. Take care of the body that God has given you. And remember to keep the main thing the main thing, God first. When you make every effort to seek your fulfillment from God, you'll find yourself not just lavished in God's love, but also better able to lavish your spouse with love. And finally, if you keep communication and commitment to each other as a high priority, and if you honor, I love this quote, and if you honor and respect each other, you will have love for a lifetime. And somewhere along the way, you'll find yourselves looking at each other saying, you know what, what a privilege this is to share life's joys and heartbreaks with you the person I know and love and understand more than anyone in the world. Thanks. So take, uh, we got just one more, take the next step. So, you know, it it would probably be helpful at this point to consider uh, making a date to kind of uh, talk about what we've talked about, kind of digest some of it, work through it. um, If anything hit home for you guys. And then prioritize your topics. You know, maybe each of you independently kind of make a list or something and come together and talk about maybe sharing a book together or discussing reading scripture more often together or any of the topics we've discussed. Um, And be intentional about your romance, about your intimacy, about your sex life. Uh, It's not going to just kind of create itself and and get better. It has to be two people working together. Like we work on our marriages in a lot of different aspects and this is just another one of them, but very important one, very important. Well, we'll hang out. If you guys want to come talk to us, we'll take our mics off. Thank you so much for coming. And again, uh, turn to your spot before you get up, turn to each other and make a date. Make a date real quick and then you can get up and talk amongst yourselves. (laughs) So figure out when you're going to finish this conversation.